Welcome to the podcast of the universe. Warning. Steve is on his bullshit again. Let's start the show. Welcome back, podcast of the universe. I am your host, Steve. My producer is Hats. Thank you, Hats, for coming in. And thank you all for listening. You could be listening to literally anything else. But you're here with me now, and I appreciate that. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at thisispotu, at T-H-I-S-I-S-P-O-T-U. All right. This is a a story that came out in 2011. Um, It was always a really weird, fascinating story to me, and I always wanted to cover it on the show, and it's been on my list of items, but I didn't know how much information I would have. Can I do a whole show on this? But it turns out I can. At first I thought it would be a mini-sode, but I did a lot of digging. And a quick heads up that this episode uh, does contain a lot of animal death. Uh, I won't go over it. It won't be gratuitous details, uh, but it is an unfortunate story. So this is the story of Terry William Thompson. He grew up on a farm near Zanesville, Ohio. Uh, There was an airport nearby. And he loved, 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 loved that airport as a child. He would go and he would bike there to the airport frequently and he would watch planes take off and watch them land. And his love of planes grew with him so much that he had his pilot license before he was 16. And he used to buzz his girlfriend's house uh, as a teen. So she and her family would be eating dinner and Terry would fly real low over the house and buzz their house. But then, as a young man, he was drafted to Vietnam, and he had to leave his small town. He was a helicopter door gunner. Uh, Basically, they would drop soldiers off uh, in Vietnam and then make emergency evacuations, and he saw truly horrible things, and they would go in, they would land, they would uh, rescue people, and get them out uh, for medical attention. And there were many times where there were too many people to help and they had to leave them behind. When he returned to the States, he experienced survivor's guilt and he would question why he lived and the men with families didn't make it home. He even thought his soul was doomed uh, for hell due to all of the lives that he took in war. In 2008, a government informant for the ATF secretly recorded Thompson Uh, And this is what he had said on one of those conversations. In Vietnam, we were so much more interested in lightweight because we were on the move a lot. I was in a helicopter, so I was a machine gunner with an M60 that was on a bipod. I always had an M16 with me. I've been to Southeast Asia for a year in a hole in the ground. I've shot more rounds through a machine gun than all of the cops in Zanesville put together, but I've had to stay alive, so it wasn't a fun thing. That's when you sleep with a machine gun, and it's the only thing that keeps you warm. When you've been through a firefight and you've got that war machine gun, that's all you got. You don't have anything else. I'm not an expert. I guess I am an expert in the military. Yeah, I am. But so what does that mean? Anything? See, the guys who shot expert got killed in Vietnam. When he returned from Vietnam, he met and married Marion Sharp, who was a well-to-do barrel racer and horse rider. Marion was a school teacher and Thompson opened up a motorcycle shop and was the area Harley dealer and obtained a license to sell guns. At this time, he also began raising Dobermans, who would shit all over the storeroom floor. And someone began vandalizing the shop after hours, so Thompson waited, and it was a few nights, and eventually the vandal returned, 
and began breaking windows. Terry Thompson snapped and pummeled the man, and for just a moment he was able to escape Terry, but Terry was able to catch up with him, and the beating continued. Because the man had run away and Terry had chased after him, uh, it no longer was self-defense, but those charges against Terry were dropped. He got rid of the shop and then started racing boats. Allegedly, he had set a record with his boat. Uh, his boat was Master Blaster, and it went 0 to 158 miles an hour in a quarter mile. Something of a wild man, he was drawn to fast cars, planes, bikes, and boats. And fun fact, he and his wife drove around town in a decommissioned fire truck until he wrecked it one day. Uh, in his own words, uh, here is Terry um, commenting on the fact that people called him crazy. He said, that's what they all say. You know, I'm crazy, but I live in the big house on the hill with the biggest horse and the fastest boat and the fastest bike. But see, I don't just have that stuff. I've got the guts to use it. Thompson became involved with exotic animals when he attended an auction and bought his wife Marion a lion cub named Simba for her birthday. Soon after that, he would be seen around town with either baby bears or lions in his car. And although Ohio had loose laws when it came to owning exotic animals, a USDA license was required to provide any animals for commercial activities or events. Thompson didn't have a license, and not being a fan of rules, it didn't stop him. He used the credentials of and the animals of someone else uh, to work a Heidi Klum shoot with a lion, a Newt Gingrich uh, photo opportunity, and appeared as an animal handler on Rachel Ray. He even did a few Bloomberg company picnics. Thompson would deny selling any animals, but people came forward and said they had witnessed him selling animals outside of the auction. And his first bit of bad PR came in 2005, when he was sentenced to six months house arrest for animal cruelty after a buffalo and three cows died of starvation and were found on his property. Also at this time, his neighbors were complaining of loose Rottweilers killing their calves on multiple uh, occasions because he wouldn't keep them locked up, and his neighbor ended up shooting and killing uh, the Rottweilers, and Thompson had to retrieve their bodies. It's pretty glaring that Thompson wanted things that no one else had. Uh, in 2008, the ATF raided his home. They took 133 firearms and 36 rounds of ammunition. And in the end, he was only charged with having a gun without a serial number and for having a machine gun. Now, for the gun without a serial number, Thompson said, well, it's because it's so old, it wouldn't have a serial number. And that machine gun, well, that was my father's machine gun. He had it in World War II. I haven't shot it. I don't even clean it. It's uh, just something I, uh, it's a keepsake. The ATF also wanted to know uh, where 22 missing weapons were, and Thompson said that he had used guns as currency and traded them for a monkey, a leopard, and a baby tiger. Thompson did plead guilty and told a friend it was a deal to keep his wife out of it and keep her from being charged uh, because she was a co-owner of the property and also because he could not afford further legal fees. And I'm not sure how many guns a monkey and a leopard and a baby tiger are individually, but... You can get three of those things for, for 22 guns. And at this time, his hoarding became uh, clear. He had rare and expensive vehicles that were rusting away. They were covered with chicken shit and dust. And rather than part with them, he just let them rot. He had a Duesenberg Boatail Roadster collecting dust in a barn with kangaroos. 
and it wasn't just vehicles that he was hoarding. He had so many animals, his driveway was lined with cages too small for them, and to feed them, he also resorted to collecting roadkill. And people would say to him, can I please take this car? Can I buy it from you? It makes me sick to see it just rotting in here, like that needs to be restored and looked after. And he would rather keep something and let it fall apart and let it just become destroyed and worthless than to give it to someone else or even sell it to them. So back to his charges. He goes to the Federal Correctional Institution in Morgantown, West Virginia in November of 2010. Before he went to jail, he began to get a little paranoid, sometimes thinking it was his wife who had turned him in for the guns. And when he was in jail, he would wait for hours in line to use the phone, and when he would call home, Marion wouldn't answer. In August of 2011, he was released from the uh, prison, and he was sent to a halfway house in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, he was in the halfway house until September 30th when he was freed from there and released uh, where he could go back home. When he was released from the halfway house, he didn't even call anyone. He simply went to a nearby Walmart, he bought a bicycle, and he rode 50 miles through the rainy night until he got home. When Terry did arrive home, he found that the weeds were growing up over the cages, uh, things were missing from the property, and he even had to have his friend help him uh, cut down all of the weeds and the uh, brush that was overgrowing his property. Friends say that when he returned home from prison in the halfway house that he was broken, animals had been moved into different cages, and he was no longer able to tell which ones were which. So basically he had them in this driveway uh, in a certain line, and that's how he would know all of their names. So this was very distressing for him, and the friend that was with him said, Terry remarked, she can just have it all. I'm going to die. His friend said, well, are you sick? And Thompson said, no, but you'll know when I go. Thompson had felt betrayed by his country, his community, his wife. And on October 18th, 2011, at 5.30 p.m., the Gums County Sheriff's Office began receiving calls reporting loose animals on and around the Thompson's property, uh, including his neighbor's property. One of his neighbors was... Uh, trapped in a barn while there was a lion outside. Um, officers arrived. They found Thompson's body. Uh, he, has, he was dead due to a self-inflicted gunshot. And before he had shot himself, he had cut the locks off of all of the cages. They found monkeys, wolves, bears, tigers, and lions just running loose. Officers began shooting the animals to prevent them from leaving the property. And nearby schools were closed until all the animals could be accounted for. And there was basically like a shelter-in-place order uh, for the community. Authorities had to search throughout the night for all of the escaped animals. The following day, Marion Thompson returned to the property where she spoke with famed Columbus zookeeper Jack Hanna. Jack had been brought in to help transport remaining animals to the zoo until everything was sorted out. And Jack was quoted as saying, We're only taking them to the zoo to look after them and to care for them until she can figure out what she can do. She truly loves those animals, and this is devastating for her. She just lost her husband, and now she's lost the only family she has. It's tragic. So, let's take a little Jack Hanna detour. Uh, when I was a kid, Jack Hanna had his own show, and I liked it. As I grew older, I saw him frequently appear on late-night TV shows. They're always light, fluffy pieces. But he has many critics who say he shouldn't be parading animals around for entertainment, pretending it's for education, and they found issues with his reaction to the criticism 
uh, for SeaWorld after Blackfish came out. So here is a quote from Jack Hanna on SeaWorld. I went to SeaWorld in 1973. I was one of the first visitors there, and I continue to take my kids, their kids right now, and hopefully their kids' kids, grandkids' kids. That's three or four generations going there. If I thought one animal there was being mistreated, or wasn't, so to speak, happy, whatever happy is, and of course some of these guys who know about whales will tell you what happy is and what happy isn't. But that's what I see when I visit these parks, and you know something? Out of sight is out of mind, which means the killer whales back in 40 years ago were out there in the oceans of the world, knowing what they were, what they were, and they are out of sight. So that's out of mind. Again, I'm not a whale researcher or whale expert. All I see is what I see at SeaWorld, animals that seem happy. They're breeding, they're eating, and I'm not sure about lifespans. I know they do research in the wild, but is research in the wild 100%? Absolutely not. I've been doing this for 42 years. I've interviewed researchers all over the world about the whale, you know, and I still say that you have to love something to save something. We use the word captivity, by the way. What is captivity, by the way? The entire world or the national parks, the North Pole and parts of the Amazon, having been to all these places. The whole world is a national park. They're smaller when you come to SeaWorld or maybe the Columbus Zoo is the largest in the country, but I can tell you that our new African veldt is not captivity. Our new polar bear exhibit for $26 million is not captivity. I can tell you that the zoos last year in this country gave over $150 million to the animals in the wild in one year. The Columbus Zoo was given $12 million in the last 10 years. Jack Hanna also has a few skeletons in his closet that I wasn't aware of until I researched uh, for the story. Uh, Jack Hanna was a private collector in the 1970s, and one of his pet lions bit the arm off his friend's three-year-old. He brought a chimp to church. The chimp bought the finger, I'm sorry, bit the finger off a five-year-old. Uh, on Good Morning America, uh, he brought a fox to uh, uh, Good Morning America. It bit the host's finger and uh, I guess did a real number on it. Uh, he, uh, he brought a cougar to a conference, uh, which bit a politician on the chin. And fun fact, Jack contracted hepatitis from a chimp, or that's what he told his wife anyway. But here's a fun Jack Hanna story from NBC in 2007 that you would swear was written by The Onion. Hanna, the director emeritus of the Columbus Zoo and frequent guest on nationally televised talk shows, was returning from a zoo fundraiser with a mongoose, a small leopard, and a flamingo. Three other people were with him. The entourage arrived at the Ohio State University Airport just after midnight Sunday to find the terminal closed. The only way to leave the tarmac was through the 10-foot-tall metal turnstile with several horizontal bars. Not the easiest exit to squeeze through when you are traveling with boxed-up animals, Hannah said. I never thought about the crate being square and the turnstile being round, he said. Hannah, 60, pushed the flamingo's two-foot by three-foot compartmented the turnstile, then continued pushing while straddling the crate. I was stuck like a worm. My eyes were as big as grapefruits, he said. I can't describe the feeling in my stomach. I can't move up or down. The bars are on your face. Hannah said he eventually squirmed free, leaving the flamingo still wedged inside and everyone else trapped on the tarmac. He then walked to a nearby fire station for help. It took three firefighters to hoist the flamingo's crate up out of the turnstile, he said. So, Jack Hanna, 
couldn't describe the feeling in his stomach when he was trapped behind those bars. I found that absolutely hilarious. And just to get my hypocrisy out of the way, and my personal thoughts on on um, animals in captivity. Many moons ago, when I was 14, I went to SeaWorld. My parents didn't want to take us out of school for vacation, so we went to Florida in August, and I remember it was very hot. But I do remember the whales and the seals and the dolphins and the killer whales doing tricks. I remember buying a little plate of fish to feed the dolphins by hand and lots of merchandise. I don't remember any education, just animals doing tricks. I'm not anti-zoo, but I do think some animals shouldn't be in them. Uh, this past summer uh, in Antwerp, Belgium, I went to the zoo there, and I wasn't thrilled by everything that I saw. There were apes and monkeys in small enclosures. Uh, for me, that was that was pretty depressing. Um, I saw penguins; they were fun to watch, and I don't know what the needs are of penguins, so I didn't I didn't necessarily view that as as negative. There were beautiful giraffes chomping away at high leaves, and that looked okay because they're kind of like grazing animals. And I saw hippos and filthy tanks. That was unsettling. Uh, and I saw a bunch of other animals that I'd probably have to like go back and look at pictures to remember. So there are certain animals that I that I'm not bothered by them being in zoos, uh, but some that I that I am. And of course, anything that is in a zoo, obviously, I would think that they should be well fed, looked after, and not not living in filth. Um. Uh, growing up, we had dogs. Uh, I had a cockatiel. I had a dagoo. Um, I had a ball python. I had two corn snakes. The snakes were all at different times. I wasn't some weirdo with three snakes. Uh, I had all the snakes individually at different times. Um, and with snakes, I was I'm fine. Anytime I see like a reptile exhibit or anything like that, I'm really fine with that uh, because snakes don't even blink. They just eat, sleep, drink. Um, they weren't affectionate unless you count like not biting you. Uh, but anyway, back to the story. By the end of the day, October 19th, 48 animals had been killed. A monkey with herpes simplex B virus was missing, along with a wolf. The wolf was later discovered, uh, though it was hit by a car. So six remaining animals were transported to the Columbus Zoo. Um, details began coming out from interviews and authority reports. Uh, things like a deputy having to shoot a lion almost as soon as he responded to the property to prevent it from getting away. Not long after, he shot a mountain lion who was hissing at him, and then another lion who was headed towards uh, horses. People had asked why tranquilizers weren't used, but the fear was you shoot them with the tranquilizer, they run in the woods, you don't find them, they sleep it off. They wake up and they're still a lion running around Ohio. Um, there were instances where they reported using tranquilizers, on some of the big cats, but after they shot the cat with the tranquilizer, the cats kept charging, so authorities had to shoot them and put them down. Basically, Zanesville, Ohio became a big game hunting safari to protect the residents and the livestock. In October 21st, 2011, Governor uh, Kasich had uh, signed an executive order to limit the ownership of dangerous animals uh, and uh, pushing inspections of locations with registered animals and setting up an animal abuse hotline. A previous bill had recently lapsed before and wasn't properly enforced. On October 27th, Marion and her lawyers asked the zoo to return the remaining animals. Uh, the animals that were taken to the zoo, there were six animals. 
three leopards, two macaques, and a grizzly. The state agriculture director wanted them quarantined to rule out any infections first. Uh, the next day, Thompson's lawyer told the paper that they were exploring their options and dealing with the zoo to get the animals back. And the next day, the zoo responded through the paper that they were actually providing proper care for the animals. On November 2nd, Tom Stolf from the Columbus Zoo described the animals' living conditions uh, on Thompson's 73-acre property. He said the primates were being kept in bird cages that were littered with, garbar with garbage and feces. Uh, Bengal tigers were kept in cages about 6 feet tall, 8 feet wide, and 15 feet deep. Definitely inadequate for their species, he said. Uh, the grizzly bear that is now at the zoo was found in a large, opened bird cage in a drained backyard pool, aggressively chewing on the cage. Um, on November 7th, four men and a teenage boy uh, accused of trying to steal a dead lion in October were charged with a misdemeanor theft. No reason for why the men tried to take the carcass was given. And after being held for six months, five of the six animals were returned to Marion, Two leopards, two monkeys, and a bear. The sixth animal uh, was a leopard named Anton who was euthanized at the zoo after a steel door unfortunately fell on his neck while being transported to a different cage. Uh, Forty guns were also returned to her from Terry's collection. The dead animals were buried in a mass grave on the property. And in 2013, two years after, uh, 3,000 people showed up and paid $25 to attend an auction to pick through Terry's large collection of rusted out and neglected items, and also just to look around and be nosy. And of course, the show, the show has conspiracies. John Moore, a friend of Terry Thompson, wrote a book called 18 Days to the Massacre. Uh, Moore tells it from Thompson's perspective. He details how uh, he arrived as well uh, with the sheriff's deputy and found his friend's body. Uh, Moore says he was able to secure some animals back in cages, but they were still shot by authorities, uh, which was denied by Sheriff Lutz. Um, another conspiracy, uh, some people don't believe that Terry killed himself. Another private animal collector, Terry Wilkins, believed that Thompson was murdered. He was quoted as saying, The fruitcakes um, have as their agenda that there will be no animals in captivity by 2025. Wilkins was also unsuccessful in challenging Ohio's new dangerous animal laws that were brought in after the incident. Uh, and here's a fun quote from Wilkins. I never allowed my daughter to have a dog, but I gave her an alligator when she was four. He wouldn't let his daughter have a dog, but he gave her an alligator when she was four. Uh, in the Zanesville Times Recorder, an article had to say this of Cindy Huntsman, who owned an animal sanctuary called Stump Hill Farm. She said, Governor Ted Strickland had issued an executive order in 2011 banning exotic animal ownership in Ohio, but Governor John Kasich let the order expire later that year. The incident in Zanesville was orchestrated to get regulations back on track. PETA and the Humane Society of the U.S., were kind of thrown by the wayside and needed something to get someone's attention. This, of course, was denied by the Humane Society and PETA. So as we wrap up this episode, uh, here's something from Mike Marshall, a friend of Terry Thompson. He said, When he was in Vietnam, he told me that he was befriended by a little monkey. He lived in a hardback tent, you know, a wood frame and a wood floor, and apparently a monkey kind of befriended him and it planted the seed of caring for wild animals for the rest of his life. 
He took care of that monkey most of the time he was over there. It kept him sane while he was there. I don't know what happened to it when he left. I don't think if you have a roadside zoo that that necessarily makes you a friend to animals, especially keeping them in such poor conditions and neglecting them, um, treating them like your other items, like your rusted out cars that just collect dust and strewn about your property. It was described by multiple people that basically it was a junkyard with a bunch of animals living in it. And nothing I really read about Terry painted him in a light that he was truly caring for animals or looking after them. It looked like someone who wanted to parade them around or own them because it was weird or unconventional. Um, he didn't do it for the benefit of the animals. It seemed to be for his benefit to collect. He hoarded animals and items alike. Cutting the locks off of the cages and releasing them wasn't caring for animals. 18 tigers, 17 lions, 8 bears, 3 cougars, 2 wolves, 1 baboon, and 1 macaque died because he didn't care for animals. Uh, luckily, there were no people hurt by the animals, and they were able to contain it uh, as quickly as they did. And I can't imagine how chaotic that would be and how bizarre that would be to be confronted with. Uh, small town, small town USA, you get a call that there's lions and tigers and mountain lions and wolves and bears, a baboon just running around your small town and you have families and livestock in the area. I couldn't imagine how, how bizarre and, uh, confusing that would be, but it's also very unfortunate that, uh, a person with um, I assume mental illness and unresolved issues uh, was able to accumulate that many animals. Uh, I can't think of a situation where someone should have that on private property unchecked, and that's also very unfortunate. So there's two things um, that I didn't find. So to my knowledge, there was no suicide note ever found um, from from Thompson. Uh, there was a container of um, unknown semen in the basement, and I never found out. I wasn't able to find out what type of semen that was or if they were doing artificial insemination or why he had that come in his basement. Uh, and also there was talks about uh, uh, a three-legged giraffe, but I couldn't find anything about the three-legged giraffe during uh, the incident when he cut all of the cages. Um, and I don't know when he got rid of his kangaroos, but, uh, there was no, men there's mentions of kangaroos, you know, much previous to this, uh, to this incident. So that's Terry Thompson. And I don't even know the, I guess if you just typed in Zanesville incident or animals that that would come up, or if you just typed in Zanesville, it would probably come up articles about, about this animal escape. Even as I'm winding this episode down and ready to stop recording. I still don't know what I'm going to call this episode. Uh, so I guess I'll just call it Terry Thompson, I guess. Um, so that's it for this episode. Um, the episodes will probably get further and further apart as the twins get closer. I'll of course still do the show. Um, it'll just take me longer to cobble things together, but that's all right. Uh, so thank you for listening. I hope you all have a fantastic week until 
until we speak again. If you ever have any suggestions or corrections, you can email the podcast at podcastoftheuniverse at gmail.com. And of course, you can always hit me up on Instagram. And uh, that's it. I would ask Katz if he has anything to add, but I know he doesn't. I know he wants me to do a segment, a hot take segment. And I said I would do it if he if he puts together a little um, audio package for it. Uh, I'll come up with hot takes. So maybe we'll do that on the next episode. A couple topics that I'm thinking about doing. And uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, so that's it for me. And until next time, be curious. But not curious enough to where you start hoarding animals and start a, a weird, bizarre, uh, dangerous situation on your property. Be curious responsibly and within the laws of your local government. And uh, use common sense and restraint. So, I guess, yeah. But still be curious. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. 